0: Well, good morning, if you turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 21. Daniel 11, uh, verse 21, and in this place shall rise a vile person to whom they will not give an honor of royalty, but he shall come peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. With force with the force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant and After the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people, and he shall enter peaceably even to the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them plunder, spoil, and riches and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. He shall stir up his power and his great courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him, his army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, And they shall speak lies at the same table, but it shall not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. When returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant. So he shall do damage and return to his own land. At the appointed time he shall not return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore he shall be grieved, and return in rage against the holy covenant, and do damage. So he shall return, and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices, and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many for yet f- shall instruct many yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame by captivity and plundering. Now, when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue, and some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the end, till the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. God, we thank you for your finished work of the cross, and we thank you for your desire for us to understand your word, God. We just pray that you would make it clear this morning. We pray you would anoint Jackie with your spirit, Lord, and uh, that our hearts would be open to hear from you, Lord. Uh, Just give us clarity in your word, Lord, and uh, help us to see the, the sovereign plan you have for... Of this world and uh, God, we just thank you for your love for us and uh, just be in this place this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks,
1: man. The word of God is amazing, <clears throat> the ability with which it can relate to us history, uh, but it's history. Spoken back to us from the future. See, history has always been his story. And when it's his story, he knows exactly how all the pieces fit together. He knows how it all is supposed to come, how it all is supposed to fit. So, as we look at what the Lord has for us this morning, I want you to remember this concept. There is already a king. And as we look prophetically at the battles between the north and the south, and then we get the shadow picture we're going to see in a moment of Antiochus. Antiochus uh, is going to be the guy we look at today. Uh, And then ultimately next week we take a look at that final world leader. They all have one thing in common. They all, like Nebuchadnezzar, are trying to prove that what God said was going to happen what God laid out for us in, uh, in the first prophecy or vision that he gave Nebuchadnezzar, that it's not going to happen. Now think back to it. Remember Daniel, little guy, he's not going to defile himself with the king's delicacies. The king has a dream and he tells all his, his wise guys, right? Tell me what I dreamed and what it means. And so they say, okay, king, tell us what you dreamed. And he said, no. If you're legit... If you're really a wise man, if you're really in touch with what's going on, then you can tell me what I dreamed, and you can tell me from what I dreamed what it all means. And so that's what he called for them to do. Now you remember, nobody could do it. They're going to kill all the wise men, and then Daniel says, let me pray, because there is a God in heaven, knows the answer to your question. There is a king, and he's still sitting on his throne, and he's... His creation is in rebellion against Him. And as His creation uh, thrives in rebellion against Him, as His creation is doing battle against Him, He's calling His creation to repentance. Come back. And as He watches that creation go off to the right or to the left, the God of history can tell us what's going to happen. 400 years We talk about the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New having 400 years of silence. Well, Daniel 10, 11, and 12 tells you what happened during those 400 years. Not another prophet came on the scene during that time because God already told him, Here's what's going to happen in those 400 years. So from Daniel 10, 11, and 12, we can figure out how we got from Nebuchadnezzar to Rome being in Jerusalem. It all goes back to that first dream. Do you remember? Head of gold, chest of silver, uh, waist uh, and, and uh, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet, iron mixed with clay. We have kingdoms of this world moving from gold to clay. And what they all have in common is, no matter what colors on top, they all had feet of what? Clay. So they, could they stand? No, so what do we do? we got kingdoms shifting. You have a kingdom of gold. Oh, it's a great kingdom. This is finally going to be the one. Nope, it passes away. Silver kingdom. They got it right. Nope, silver kingdom goes. Bronze kingdom. Nope, that's not the one. On and on and on we go. From Babylon through Medo-Persia, through Greece. Remember Alexander the Great? We talked about his four generals and, and focusing on two of them. The king of the north and the south, remember? And then... From him, what comes next? Rome. And then Rome's the last one. Rome is when the kingdoms of the world are obliterated by what? The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. Because no matter how much man tries to get it all together himself, he messes it up. We mess it up. We think we got it. We think, you know what? I know if we we just did this. But you know what? The Lord God tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not built by the strength of our arms or by how well we shoot a rifle. It's built by how well we submit to the King of Heaven, to the God of gods, to the Lord of lords. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Kingdom comes, kingdom goes. Kingdom comes, kingdom goes. Still, mankind is calling out we we just need a king. We just need we just need to find a good one. We just need to get a right one in. Maybe if we get a Christian in, or or, or maybe if we get somebody whose heart is surrendered to the Lord, well, you might have a period of of uh, prosperity or good times during that. But mankind don't stay. He don't stay. He don't stay on track. How many times do we see it? Open a history book and read it. This is the one, right? This is supposed to be the kingdom to end all kingdoms. But what are we watching in our own nation? Rebellion against God. The downward spiral of mankind, Romans 1, 2, and 3. The judgment ultimately coming somewhere down the line. And what was once great has become weak. Why? Because the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. That's why when God told the kings, he would tell the kings, look guys, here's three things I don't want you to do. And ever since God spoke those words, those three things every king has done. He said, look, I don't want you to count your horses. You see, they used to establish their military might by how many horses they had. So God said, don't multiply horses, don't worry about it. Because if you do, you're going to start trusting in that. I want you to trust in me. He said, don't multiply gold. Because sometimes you'll put your trust in that. Well, my problems would all be solved with a little bit more money. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah? But God says, nope, you don't need no money. You need to trust me. We just don't like that answer. Because that answer usually means I'm not going to get what I want. What I could get if I had a little more money. (laughs) Don't multiply gold. Don't multiply horses. Don't multiply wives. Those three things were broke. By every king of Israel. And varieties of those three things. Have been broke by every ruler since. And what happens is. Man starts to put his trust. And allow his heart. To go. In those things he values. And that's exactly why our nation is declining. Now, here's where I break ranks with everybody else. Because everybody else will say, well, our nation is supposed to decline. There's nothing we can do about it. We just go to the pit. Well, you might be right. But Jesus didn't call me to stand around and watch everybody else go to hell. He didn't call me to come stand around and watch my country decline so that my grandkids... Got to deal with all this nonsense I was not willing to deal with while I was still here. And here's what occurs. And here's what we see as we look at the scripture. Everybody has, especially in our nation, they have this phrase they love to throw around. The separation of church and state. Right? How many times you heard that? Okay. Well, let me tell you what they really mean. What they really mean is, state is... God separation of church and state just means the state is God I'll tell you how you can worship where you can worship when you can worship what you're going to be able to say what you're not going to be able to say I'm the state And that's, what they're, that's where we're headed and that's where all these kingdoms we look at in Daniel that's where they all went Nebuchadnezzar, when he built that green... B- green. Was it green? Probably not. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar... <laughs> uh, Nebuchadnezzar, when he built that big gold statue... Remember he said, oh, My kingdom's never going to pass away, and you will do what? Bow down and worship what? My kingdom. Yeah. That's the heart, guys. That's the heart of every kingdom of man. And it doesn't matter what it, whether it is bow down and worship Islam, whether it's bow down and worship whatever... The state ultimately moves to a position of control. And that position of control is to control worship. And if I can control worship, I control everyone. And when we consider those ideals, when we consider those things, that's why taking a look at Antiochus Epiphany is so important. Because he's the prototype. He's the prototype. He's not the old last guy who ever did it. He just one of the first and the things he did become a pattern for those who come after him and ultimately become the ultimate pattern for that final world leader that the Bible is talking about but all the while as God lays it out for us I just want you to know what he's saying is I'm king and as long as you want other kings beside me that's what you're going to have when the nation of Israel came to God and said look God, we want a king like everybody else has. God said to him, if you do that, he's going to take your young men and make them go to war. He's going to tax you. You have all of these things that are going to occur as a result of you rejecting me as king and taking a human king. And they said, we don't care. We want a king. So man's been trying to rule himself ever since. Now just as you're thinking about it, as you're putting these thoughts together together in your mind, go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind. What was that fall all about? It was the declaration of independence from the first man and woman. I don't need you, God. I don't need you. If I do what the serpent says, I'll be able to figure out good from evil myself. How's that been working for us so far? I mean, we, we, we do know, guys, we do know good and evil. And often we know the difference, but we are, are not able to walk that line. Because sooner or later it comes in conflict with our, our own ideals. And now it's not such a big, it's not such a big deal. All my time in high school, I wrote. I used to drive my English teacher crazy in high school because every time she made us write something about, about uh, creative writing, I'd write about abortion. She finally put a note on one of my things that said, please stop writing about abortion. You win. <laughs> so I wrote, and, and, and it, was, I, it was something that was so important to me Like, how can these people not see that this is wrong? How can they not see that this is not okay until I'm in my mid twenties in the middle of Adak, Alaska? Had an affair on my wife, and the woman was pregnant. You know, I can make that all go away just saying, Okay, that's all I gotta say. Okay. It was easy. That we all stand strong until everything comes home to roost. And then all of a sudden you realize, you know what? I am the same. I am just as despicable as the next guy. I am able to do horrific things. If I do not allow myself to be ruled by the king of kings. And if you're sitting here today thinking, well, that's not me. Then you are self-deceived. And that's the worst kind of deception there is. Because you actually believe you're incapable of doing the things God says you are capable of. But what does all of that do? What is that all for? It's the king. Don't you hear the king calling his creation to repentance? Because when I come before God in repentance and I'm on my knees and I'm weeping and I'm saying, I can't believe I could do such a thing. God, will you forgive me? You know, it's his joy. To say yes. I'll forgive you. Get up. And follow me. And that don't ever stop. It won't ever stop. This side of eternity. Mankind needs to make a choice who his king is. And as long as we're looking for a ruler somewhere else. We're always going to struggle being obedient. Obedient to the king of kings and the lord of lords Antiochus becomes an example for us what not to do and when we look at this prophetic section of scripture we're going to work our way through it it shouldn't take us very long an hour or so and as we work our way through it again I want you to see that God knew exactly what was going to happen and he gives us 400 years of history before history happens. That's prehistory. His prophetic word. God, man, God is always right. Let's take a look at him. Daniel eleven twenty one, 21. And in his place, okay, into king. Remember last time we ended off with a king who died not like anybody else, who didn't go to war, he was poisoned. And I told you probably Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphany was probably involved in that. Look at what the Bible says about him. It says, Then shall arise a vile person, a vile person, to whom they will not give the honor of royalty. So he's not royalty. He's not in line for the throne. But he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. So first he starts with his character. His character is vile. He gave himself a name. Theos Epiphanes. Theos Epiphanes means God made manifest. He called himself... God made manifest. I'm God down here among all you underlings. That's what Antiochus thought about himself. But what did everybody else think about him? Everybody else, not to his face, but behind his back, called him uh, Antiochus Epip- Epimanes. Epimanes means madman, crazy, nutcase. So when he'd walk around, do his thing, you know he'd call himself God made manifest, but the people behind his back would say, Man, this guy's crazy. He is crazy. Antiochus Epiphanes is a vile man. <clears throat> then what are the circumstances? How does he come into power? Well, it says he's not royalty. He's not. He's the youngest son of Antiochus the Great. He spends several years of his life in a prison in Rome. When his, when his father had lost the battle and Rome told him, hey, you knock this stuff off and go be good. So he went back, but he left his youngest son as a prisoner. So he grows up in Rome, understands and learns from the Romans how, how they're beginning to do things in the kingdom of Rome. Well, the, the, the king who died, Seleucus, uh, Philopater had two sons, Demetrius and Antiochus. Antiochus was a baby. Demetrius was young. Antiochus the fourth comes in as their uncle and says through intrigue and and he worms his way into the throne. So there were two guys who should have come into the throne. But the Bible said, he's going to come. He's going to come peaceably. He's not going to come a war. He's not going to come wipe nobody out. He's just going to use intrigue. spy Spying, favors. What we find out about Antiochus is he likes to pay dudes off. So he, 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 we're going to see him do it. He pays a lot of guys off and he pays them off and they just let him in. That's how a, a, a rebel against the king does stuff. Which one of the political parties is that not happening? Which, which one of them aren't, aren't, aren't paying somebody off? Now I know the Clintons won't admit it, but we all know they're paying everybody off that they can. And, and Donald said he'd be more than happy to pay somebody off if it got him what he wanted. So we see this, we see that the same nature. What am I? What am I trying to say? And I'm not trying to pick one against another. You guys vote for whoever you want to. I just got one rule: you vote. A lot of people died, so you could do it. So you don't get out. You don't get to go. Oh, it's lose lose. So I'm not going to vote. You better find some some way you can do it, because a lot of young people died on a beach, long uh, long ways away. So you could have the chance. And I take it serious that we get the chance to. To at least cast my vote. So I will. And if you ask me who I'll vote for, I'm going to tell you, you don't want to know. So I won't tell you. You guys do what you got to do. Okay, but by intrigue and political maneuvering and paying guys off, he's going to come into power. Look at verse 22. With the force of a flood, they will be swept away from before him and be broken. And also the prince of the covenant. And after the league is made with him... He will act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province. And he will do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, and the riches, and devise his plan against the strongholds, but only for a time. I love it when God does that. Three times you're going to hear that phrase, only for a time, or until the appointed time. Because God says, oh, you only get to go so far. It only gets to go so far, and then I'm stopping you. That rebellion can't go on ad infinitum before God brings in his stop. So, he begins with his conflicts in this verse. Now just look at this verse, and let me tell you about the history. 170 BC, Antiochus routed the forces of Egypt in battles between Pelasium and the Castan Mountains. He wipes them out. He goes in war against... This is his favorite whooping post. Antiochus' favorite whooping post is Egypt. Remember, this is the north and the south, Syria against Egypt. These are the two uh, most, most biggest uh, kingdoms that come out of Greece. And so Syria, he, his favorite thing is to go beat up on Egypt. So he goes the first time, whoops them all. Whoops all of Egypt... And remember I told you, every time he goes to Egypt, or Egypt comes down, who do they pass through? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So what Jerusalem gets smacked around on the way up, and usually gets smacked around on the way back. So he goes up, and he does this. Now, the prince of the covenant, guys, is a reference to the high priest, Onias III. So as he's heading up there, he makes a, a covenant... <clears throat> or, or, or he he despises the the prince of the covenant. Look at it. It says, "For he shall um, uh, they Egypt will be broken before him, and also the prince of the covenant. The prince of the covenant, high priest Onias the third. But when he passes through Jerusalem, he deposes him and sets his brother up as high priest. So what's he want to do? What's he want to do in Jerusalem? What's to c- control their worship? So how does he start with controlling their worship? Get rid of the real high priest and raise up one of his own. The one of his own, his name is Jason. It's a brother of Onias. He raises him up to take over. But that guy that he raises up is not going to stay. He's not going to fulfill what he's supposed to do. We're going to see him rebel against Antiochus in a moment. Okay, now we go on. To look at his craftiness. It says Antiochus adopted a policy of friendship with Egypt. So he pretended to support Ptolemy Philometer against his brother, Ptolemy Eurigides. So what's happening in Egypt, so you can kind of get your head around it. There's two guys who want to be king there. So Antiochus sides with one of them. So he can go over there and beat the other one up. And he's gonna, he, he works that out pretty well. When he wins and he gets all his gold, it says he does what his forefathers never did. He just spreads the gold out to the people. You guys heard of Robin Hood, right? He's in Egypt and he just starts passing out gold to people. So what do the Egyptians think of Antiochus? Oh, I like this dude. He's, he's giving me, he gave me a phone. He's giving me special deals. Man, this guy's all right, you know, who cares what's going on everywhere else? I got something for free. So he gains some of the people's support, especially on the borders, so that when he comes into Egypt, they're all happy to see him. "Yeah, come on in. Oh, you're going to go beat up the king again? Well, go head on. Last time he did, he'd give us gold. Go. Go with him. So this is how he's working it out. Now remember what the Word of God said. The Word of God said, he's going to come in, he's going to sweep away all them that are before him. He's going to make a league, uh, <clears throat> make league together with them. He raised up a new high priest, right? But that high priest not going to stand with him. Uh, he will enter peaceably even to the richest places of the province and do what his forefathers never did. He's going to pass out gold. He's going to spread it around to them. Now, As he spreads this out, he's able to build a strong garrison, a fortress, on the border of Egypt. So he can get in and out whenever he wants. Now remember I told you, Antiochus' favorite whipping post is Egypt. His second favorite whipping post is Jerusalem. So as he passes through, he deposes a high priest, raises up a new one, goes up, whoops him, spreads out his gold, comes back, and goes back home. Now, in verse 25, we'll see the destruction of Egypt. Look. It says, he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south will be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall, they, see it, they shall devise plans against him. So this is the second time he goes to Egypt. He goes up to Egypt. He wants to whoop him again. The king of the, uh, of the south, the Egyptian king, he's got a big army, but Antiochus has a better army, but he's got, some, he's got a deal. He's got some dudes in his pocket, because he handed out a bunch of money. He gave away a bunch of stuff. So when he got there to do battle, all of a sudden, the king of Egypt found some of his own people fighting against him. Look at verse 26. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies, the king of Egypt... Shall destroy him. His army will be swept away. And many shall fall down slain. So his own people are going to go against him. Why? Because Antiochus paid him off. He gave him a bunch of money. He passed out the, the stuff that he won. So you know, you know the loyalty of men can be bought right? So he buys their loyalty. They are treasonous against their own king. The second battle in in Egypt, he wins. Now here's the funny thing. Look at the next verse, verse 27. Both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil. And they shall speak lies, what's it say? At the same table. So you got Antiochus, he's getting together uh, with Ptolemy Philometer, whose brother is Ptolemy Physicon. Physicon is the guy who's king. Uh, Philometer wants to be king. So he's... He sits down with Antiochus to work out the deal so that they can he can go up there and beat his brother and hopefully he can become king. But the Bible says they're both lying to each other. They both promise things that they're not gonna do. They both do things that that's what man in rebellion against God will behave like. Look at it, it's funny because people all the time don't don't understand how an apologetic response could be this phrase. So what? But well, doesn't seem like a very good apologetic response. Apologetic, that means a defense of the faith. What's well, a great one against an atheist? Why? Well, an atheist says there's no God. So my answer to every question of his is, so what? If there's no God, so what? Man can do whatever he wants. By what right are you setting any moral standard? Yeah. By what rule? By whose authority? You know, all of law, everything in society and government came down from God. God established first the family, then government, and he did it in Genesis. And the the organization of it, the rules, the laws of it all follow right along. God's word, God's law laid out. Why is it wrong to steal? Well, here's the best answer. Because God says, don't steal. Why is it wrong to murder? Because God says, don't murder. That's that's all the response I need. But if I am an atheist, I don't believe in God, why is it wrong to murder? It's not wrong to murder. Might makes right. Right? Whoever's got the power makes the rules. That's the golden rule, right? Whoever's got the gold makes the rules. But that's not the way God's word is set up. That's a rebellion against the king. That's a rebellion against God. So we see these things taking place. These two guys sit and and tell lies at the table. But it will not prosper, for the end will still be, what's it say? At the appointed time. Okay, here's what that means. After it's all said and done, who's still in control? The king of kings. He's still in control. Look, the idea that God created the universe... Swound it up and then backs up just to watch all these things happen it's not in the Bible in the Bible God says I'm in control Daniel said in Daniel chapter 4 it's God who raises up kings and takes down kings it's God who is guiding history to its culmination he's guiding history to the return of the king you read about it in Revelation chapter 19 He's guiding history. We're headed to that point. That's where we're going. That's the way all history is moving. So we see these guys, the two kings sitting together. They make a deal against the other king's brother and they're lying to each other. They're just trying to get whatever, you know, whatever it takes so that I can win. Win at all costs. Win at all costs. The problem is, you know what? Every revolution that rises up against a a treacherous government starts off well. But eventually it becomes just as corrupt as the one they're replacing. Why? Because I go back to the statue. Gold goes to silver, silver goes to bronze, bronze goes to iron. All of them have feet of clay. None of them can stand. Man doesn't govern himself. Man needs to submit to God and allow God to govern him. And that's just the reality. And we see history doing it. And whether we were doing it with Antiochus and all these names are hard to to pronounce and looking at the king of the north and the king of the south and all these confusing battles. What's the point of it all? God's saying, look, I got it. I'll tell you what's going to happen. You know, the moment God tells you what's going to happen, that's what's going to happen. Right? So, man, he's laying it out. God says, look, I have this... I have this together. I have this together. Look at verse 28. And while returning to the land, to his land with great riches, his heart will be moved against the Holy Covenant. So his heart is moved against the Holy Covenant. Now, it's no longer Antiochus as a tool, as an instrument of judgment against God's people. Now it says Antiochus has a, a, is doing battle against the promise. If you're doing battle against the promise of God... You're doing battle against God. He sets his sight on God. That's why it becomes a picture of the Antichrist. Why? Because when we read about Jesus' return in Revelation chapter 19, it says, Jesus Christ returns when all the armies are gathered to do battle and wipe out Israel. Jesus Christ returns at that moment. And they for it still is mind-boggling to me, except for the fact that the rebellion in the hearts of men is, is so ultimately against God because as soon as they see him, it says, every eye see him. Everybody sees him coming. When's the last time you looked outside you seen a dude riding on a horse coming out of heaven with a host so big you can't even number them, and they're all coming down to the land? Have you seen one of them lately? How about this? When's the last time you saw that with the first thought in your mind was, I think we can take him. <laughs> But that's the, that's the heart of man. Because ultimately man's rebellion is against God. So he t- turns to do battle. What do we see Antiochus doing here? He says, I'm going to go to war against the Holy Covenant. What's the Holy Covenant? God made promises to his people that he will not break. But Antiochus says, I'm going to come in there and I'm going I'm to break all that stuff. This is about time I squared these people away. So he's moved against the holy covenant, so he will do damage and return to his own land. Every time he passes through, he does damage. A little bit of of a whooping post going on. At the appointed time, what did that say? Who's in control, guys? At the appointed time. Look, God's saying, look, when he's supposed to go, he's going to go back. Look what it says. At an appointed time, he shall return and go toward the south, but it's not going to be like the last two. He's going to go back at the appointed time. You know what God says in His Word? At the Battle of Armageddon, you know how come all the armies of the world head there? God says, I'm going to put a hook in their jaw. And I'm going to draw them down. I'm going to put a hook in their jaw. I'm going to bring them to the feast of the great God. Remember I told you, that's a bad thing. <clears throat> but... So, so God is bringing, He says at the appointed time, He's going to go back to Egypt, but, but His time's winding down. God's saying, you know, His time, I only let, I only let this guy go so far. Now I'm, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to bring him against Egypt. I'm going to bring him against Egypt, but it won't be like it was before. So He attempts to invade again, but there's a problem. Remember those two brothers that were fighting in, in, in Egypt? And one of them would always side with Antiochus. Guess what? They made peace. So Antiochus thinks he's gone, but he's got these other guys in his pocket. Only they made peace with each other, so, so they're not in his pocket no more. So Antiochus goes. Let's look what the word says. It says, it won't be like the former or the latter time. Look at verse 30. For ships from Cyprus will come against him. Therefore he will be grieved and return... In rage. What happens? So he goes to war. <coughs> he's, he goes to war anyway. The two brothers are siding beside with one another. It's, I think we can take them. So they start fighting. He's got a siege going outside of Alexandria. As he's got this siege going outside of Alexandria, a bunch of ships show up. It's a port. And all these ships show up. But you know who's, who's on all those ships? Romans. Go back. Statue. Head of gold. Babylon. Chest of silver, Medo-Persian. Belly and thighs of bronze, Greece. That's what we're dealing with right now, Greece. Alexander's dead, his four generals are fighting over everything else. What's next? Rome. So he's over there just, just trying to conquer Greece. He's going to take it all. And Rome shows up. And the, Roman, the guy in charge of the Roman legion walks over to Antiochus. You can read about this. A Roman historian, I want to say uh, it's... it's uh, I'm going to say it wrong. Well, anyways, ask me later and I'll tell you. When my brain's working again. But a Roman historian writes about it. The guy walks up to Antiochus. And he says, the Roman Senate is requesting that you stop all advancement against Egypt and go home. And Antiochus starts to get a little huffy. And so the, the, the Roman general takes his sword and he walks around Antiochus drawing in the sand a circle he walks all the way around him and he says before you get out of the circle you decide what you're going to do so here's the whole Roman fleet ships, general, legion yeah you're not going to win that fight because who's the next kingdom that's taken over Rome just like God said in the beginning does he know how it's going to happen sure Antiochus keeps poking Egypt with a stick Egypt calls Rome Rome help Rome shows up and says you know we're tired of you dude that's basically what's going on right (laughs) hey so he draws that circle so Antiochus has to say okay I'll stop what do you think that makes him well the Bible says it makes him enraged where's he gotta go next if he leaves Egypt what's he walk through Oh yeah, so he's headed toward Jerusalem. all oh, ticked off. That Rome has, has put their nose. So he's got two plans when he gets down there. Look at it. He's got two plans as he heads back toward, uh, um, toward Israel. It says he's going to enrage against the Holy Covenant and do damage. So he will return to show regard for those who, what's the phrase? Forsake the Holy Covenant. Look, you want to get along with the state, all you got to do is put the Bible away and say, yeah, whatever you say. You want to get along with the state, all you got to do is abandon the truth of what God's Word says and say, you know, it's bogus. Because if you do that, you'll be at peace. You'll be able to slide right into the tolerance crew. And be tolerant of everything else. Because you've abandoned the truth of God's Word. And you've abandoned your ability to say, know what, I stand by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming back one day. And when he comes back, he's going to clean house. But until that time, he's left me here as a steward. What am I done with my stewardship? The stewardship he's given me over the Word of God, how the Word of God goes forth, how people receive the Word of God, how people hear the Word of God. That's my stewardship. That's your stewardship. It's our stewardship. This guy goes back, he's enraged, but he's looking for people to choose from Israel to help him do battle against Rome. I'm just going to pick up some of you guys, but look, I I can't have dudes who who follow that Bible stuff. I can't have people like that, so, so I need to weed them out. So, he goes back full of rage, look what the Word of God says. He has this anger against Israel, and so we see his abomination. And forces will be mustered by him, and they will defile the sanctuary fortress. And they will take away the daily sacrifices, and place there the abomination of desolation. Now the abomination of desolation, all that means, guys, is you have done something so horrific in the temple that the Jews stop coming. It's the abomination that makes desolate. You do this, they all stop coming. They are, which ultimately is his goal. Ultimately it's his goal. He wants to pull people out of that worship. So here's what he did historically. He sacrificed pigs to pagan gods in the temple. He required Jews to take part in the worship of Bacchus. Bacchus was the god of wine. So what he would do is he would take pious Jews who said, No, I'm not going to do that. He would take pious Jews, strap them down, put a funnel down their throat, and pour wine till they were utterly obliterated. And then he'd throw them off with, uh, some of his, uh, high priestesses or whatever other, uh, gods they were worshiping to go commit, uh, abomination before God. He'd wipe them. And so he said, look, I'm, I'll, I'll wipe you guys out. Here's how I'll take care of it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your pious from you. I'm gonna take the guys who want to follow God and I'm gonna obliterate them. Not only does he do that, on the Sabbath day, he invades when they're wanting to worship, and he wipes out everybody who's worshiping, and he says, no more daily sacrifice, and he sets his guards over the temple. So now nobody can come in and worship, nobody can offer a sacrifice, everything has been shut down. And you wonder why Antiochus Epiphanes becomes the model for every rebellion against God because that's how it's happened over and over again in history Rome's not any different you're going to see the exact same things taking place under them his army occupied the citadel he brought in heathen idolatry and made it mandatory and forced the Jews to do it either you bow to this God or I will kill you that's how you get people to bow to the God you want Does that not sound familiar to anybody? Because if you come on Wednesday night, we work our way through the book of Revelation. There's going to be a time where this next world leader on the scene requires everyone living to take a mark and worship the beast. Or he will not be able to buy or sell. If you don't take the mark, he will kill you. What is the mark? I I hate to disappoint you guys. It's not a chip you put in your arm. That has your credit card information on it. (laughs) What in the world does that got to do with anything? Well, yeah, that's what it is. You put a chip in there and now you can buy with something in your hand. No. What was it back in Antiochus? What was it in these other world leaders? It was an act of worship. You had to bow or they took your head. You had to bow or they took your head. The state is God. You have to bow. Or I'll take your business. You have to bow. Or I'll shut down your bakery. You have to bow. Or I'll close your church. You have to bow. That's where rebellion is headed. And that's where it was at this time under Antiochus. Finally, he takes a statue of Zeus. And he puts it on top of the altar. And that was it. The abomination that makes desolate. Then everybody was gone. And all worship at the temple ceased. Jesus points to that. Jesus, who comes 400 years after this, he says, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So he said, Daniel's the one who gave it to us. And when you see it happen, he says, Run. Well, Antiochus happened before Jesus. So what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about another one. He's talking about another rebellion. Another battle. Look, we think we get a pass. And all those people who went before us, all the time of the church and the persecution of the church that happened before us, that none of that's ever going to happen again? You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. The world is full of circles. We keep doing the same thing. Same patterns. Same circle repeating itself. And it will come here. It's already starting. You make a stand against the state, they take your stuff. Wasn't that long ago, guys, that they told the pastor in Houston he had to turn in his sermon notes? Why? Because the state's going to tell you what you can say. Now, that didn't happen, but it's starting. we got to read the writing on the wall. we got to see that these are the events that took place. So this is what he does. He creates the abomination of desolation, he disrupts all this stuff, and it had an effect. What was the effect that it had? It says, then those who do wickedly against the covenant, he will corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. What happens? That line gets real clear. The one that's fuzzy right now? That line gets real clear. There was a story going around a lot of years ago when when Russia was first opening up to the gospel. The story went something like this that there were guys meeting for a secret Bible study. You guys heard it before? And a bunch of soldiers from the KGB busted in. And they pulled out their guns and said, Everybody who doesn't renounce this religion now and get out of here, we're going to shoot. And the Bible study splits down the middle. And a bunch of dudes run out the door. And then the KGB officer said, now that we got the real Christians here, let's do a Bible study. (laughs) The line gets clear when all of a sudden people start saying, you know what? If you don't do what we say, we're going to kill you. Because what it says is, the weak, they go over to Antiochus. And they continue in rebellion. But the strong, they go on with God. So what happens? It wakes up the Maccabees. You guys ever heard of them? The Maccabees. Matthias Maccabee was the father. The most famous of his five sons was Judas Maccabeus. They called him the Hammer. I like that name. He was the Hammer. And he rises up to rebel against Antiochus. And this little bitty family with five dudes who want to stand with God they actually put Antiochus out as they're putting Antiochus out though it's a lot of great battles and a lot of great victories but they need a little extra help so they make a phone call well they didn't have a phone then but they wrote a letter who they write the letter to this new fledgling nation that just helped Egypt against Antiochus what were they called again Rome and so they said, will you help us? And that's how Rome got in. Jerusalem. And they never left. They stayed there until they destroyed the temple in 70 AD. So when Jesus is born, and you wonder, how all these Romans get here? Now you know. Antiochus causes a revolt. The Maccabees fight back. Just like the Bible said. What the Bible say? The guys who stand with God, they're, they're going to they're stand with Him. Look what, look, look what it says. And those are the people... Who understand will instruct many. Those are the people who understand. The Hasidians. The Hasidians is this sect of people who really hold tight to the Word of God. And they realize, people are blowing it, man. They're they're picking the wrong side. They're running over to the wrong side. we got to teach them what the Word of God says. So they started teaching them what the Word of God says. Man, you guys got to hold fast to what the Word of God says. You know what they called them? Pharisees. Do you wonder where they came from? That's where they came. What did I tell you about men? Left to their own. They start, good intent. What happens? Yeah, don't stay that way unless you hold fast to the king. Hold fast to the Lord God Almighty. So these guys start teaching the word. It says, yet for many days... Uh, and they shall fall by the sword and flame by captivity and plundering. So they're trying to kill out the Pharisees. But they can't stomp them out. Because those guys are so laying hold of the word of God. Saying, I'm not letting go of the word of God. That they're fine. Kill us by the sword. In fact, the whole group of them. Because they're unwilling to defile the Sabbath day. Which means, I'm not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath day. I'm surely not picking up a sword. Antiochus runs in. Gets them all gathered in one place and kills every one of them. That little spark, set by their rebellion against the state, that started a fire, which ultimately put Antiochus out of business. Unfortunately, it brought Rome in. Why? Because that's what man does if he's in rebellion against God. Look, I don't need Rome's help. I need God's help. I don't need nothing but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I got to submit to him and I got to follow his word and I got to follow what his word teaches. And I got to say, what side am I on? Where am I at? Because the battle lines are being drawn whether you want to be in it or not. And if you don't pick a side, a side will be picked for you. Those days, they are upon us. And the word of God knows it because it told us precisely what was going to take place, guys. It says, now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help. But many will join with them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding will fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white. Until the time of the end. Why? Because it is still for an appointed time. Look guys, God knows what's coming. Now, we look back at the past, and hopefully I don't bore you too bad, but we look back at the past because the future looks like it. Those who don't learn from the past are doomed to what? Repeat it. Repeat it. Repeat it. How many times do we see this same scenario repeating? So God says, look, I'll tell you how it happened. I'll tell you how we went from Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greece to Rome. And what happens after that? Who cares? None of those kingdoms can stand until the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes and sets up His kingdom. Jesus Christ, when He walked on the earth, what did He say? The kingdom of God is here when? Now, if you're with me, the kingdom of God is here now. Pick a side. Pick a side. He went up into heaven. He ascended up into heaven. What did the angels say? This same Jesus whom you've seen go will come again just like you saw him leave. He's going to come back. He's going to set up his kingdom. But he said, until that time I have left my people to occupy till I come. What does that mean? It means we learned from these guys in history that got it right. They held fast to the word of God and taught other people to hold fast to the word of God. To make a stand. To pick a side. To get where we need to be. So that when that world leader comes on the scene, you want to read scary verses. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it says everybody who didn't have a love for the truth is going to buy into the lie of the Antichrist. Now just listen to that. Everybody who didn't have a love of the truth is going to buy into the lie of the Antichrist. That doesn't mean when the Antichrist shows up, you're going to go, Oh, now I believe. No, that's not what it means. It means when the Antichrist shows up, everybody's going to back him. Because up until that time, they've been in rebellion against God. The time to step out of rebellion against God is now. Not later. The time to hold fast to what the Word of God teaches is now. Not later. Because we don't get a guarantee of later. We got a guarantee of now. The Bible says now is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Now is the time. It's interesting because when we talked about the Maccabees. and Zacchaeus. I'm sorry. In Zechariah 9.13-17. through 17, There's a prophecy about them. Why? Because God just wants to know. Just in case you're not getting it there's a plan through history this bringing man from a beginning to a conclusion and god knows all the pieces in between and god knows how it goes but he's called us for such a time as this he's called us to say look i'm i am choosing a side i am stepping out of my rebellion i do want to follow him look antiochus gets put down he's gone he's dead he's in the ground But the Bible says there's another guy just like him coming. Scripture says Jesus came in the name of the Father. And they did not receive him. Another will come in his own name. And him they will receive. Man's always looking for any king but Jesus. But man has to make a decision. Because every king other than Jesus leads us to the same pit. Leads us to the same mistakes, leads us to the same problems. And the Bible says every knee will bow. But right now you have an opportunity to choose. Am I willing to bow the knee before my King, Jesus Christ? Receive what him as my Lord and Savior? That's what that's all about. Receiving Jesus Christ as King. Last thing, and I'm gonna cut you loose. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 21, 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Now you hear a lot of people say a lot of things. I'll tell you why I believe the way I believe. The time of the Gentiles began... At the conquest of Nebuchadnezzar. Because from the conquest of Nebuchadnezzar, the beginning of the statue, until today, Israel has not controlled the temple. Israel has not controlled the temple. Nebuchadnezzar controlled it. The Medo-Persians controlled it. Artaxerxes let them go back to rebuild it. But then Antiochus came in and defiled it. Later on, Herod the Great's gonna come in and do a remodel project that's gonna be accomplished, finished by sixty-four AD, and six years later Rome's gonna wipe it all out. And still today, when we go to Israel shortly, you're gonna be able to walk through the Tropian Valley and you're gonna be able to see all the stones of the temple just tossed in there like a bunch of garbage. Just like Jesus said. What did he say? Listen to the words that Jesus said in Luke twenty one twenty four. He said, and they will fall by the edge of the sword. He's talking about the nation of Israel. And be led away captive into all nations. That's happened. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles. Until the time of the Gentiles is finished. Still today, the Temple Mount is in the hands of the Gentiles. Still today, a Jew cannot go up there and worship. In fact, when we go to the Temple Mount, when we visit, and we walk up there, we're not going to even be able to pray. It's against the law to pray on the Temple Mount. It's run by uh, the, uh, it's not the Muslim Brotherhood, because that's bad. But it's a coalition of, of Muslims that control the third most holy site in all of Islam, which is Jerusalem. You know how they got it? Yeah, after 70 AD, it was a dump. No, I mean literally, it was a dump. And the Muslims came in and they said kind of like this place. We want to buy it. So they sold it to them. And they built the Dome of the Rock. And they've been there ever since. That's how it got into Muslim control. When Israel conquered Jerusalem and gained the city back, the first thing they did is run the Israeli flag up on the Temple Mount to say, Yay, we got it. The second thing they did is to pull it down and say, We'll let you keep it. As as long as you make peace. The Bible says that Jerusalem is going to be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. It's for an appointed time. Now here's the deal guys, we don't know when it is. But I guarantee you, the clock is ticking. And when that happens, the church is going to be raptured. The tribulation period will begin. Israel will get their temple. And the guy who puts all that together is going to be that last guy like Antiochus. And Jesus, the word of God, told us about it before it ever happened. So as we continue to study next week in Daniel chapter 11, we'll look at who that world leader is going to look like. And what his characteristics are. And you'll see those same things as we finish up hopefully 11 and 12 next week. And, and almost uh, be ready to close the door on the book of Daniel. All of these things, guys, we want to recognize and realize that God has it all in the palm of his hand. It's not how, how are we going to change where we're going? We don't have to worry about that. But how are we going to affect our culture now? There's no tomorrow. How are we going to affect our culture now? We've got to stop surrendering and we've got to make a choice. I'm going to stand. And I'm going to pick a side. That's the call to the church today. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the truth of your word, God. That your word told us exactly what going to happen. How it happened. We can see it in history. We know that indeed, God is true. And every man is a liar. Lord, I pray that we would submit to You. That we would bow the knee to You. For You indeed are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I pray, Lord, that we would make our choice that we would pick our side. That we would stop surrendering our culture and allowing people to head to oblivion just because we think we're safe. But that we realize, no, no, that's that's not how it was supposed to be. God's people always have stood together, picked a side, made a difference, at least as a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight paths for the coming of the Lord. God, I pray that would be our heart like John the Baptist, to go out and call a nation to repentance, to recognize and realize that you have a plan, and we're headed to a conclusion, but I can control what I do about where I am in that plan today. God, I pray that there are people here today that have not bowed the knee, do not know you as Lord and Savior, that they recognize today is the day. Now is the time. God, I pray it would be our heart to see you truly as Lord of Lords and King of Kings and hear your call as you direct us to go into the world and share the good news. Jesus Christ has taken my brokenness. And given me wholeness. He's taken away that which separates me from God. He's put upon himself the wrath of God that was for me. God I pray Lord that it would be our desire then. To hear his call. His still small voice saying. You. Come and follow me. We give you praise. And glory. For who you are.